0: Remarkable accomplishments are happening every day on the Colorado Macy University and Western Colorado Community College campuses. From faculty instruction and research to student projects and community involvement, CMU Now is a monthly segment on the KAFM Community Affairs Hour, where we interview faculty, staff, athletic coaches, and students to keep you up to date on all things CMU and WCCC. I'm Caitlin Birdsall, along with my co-host David Ludlam. We'll have a few guests on the show today, and our first guests are Assistant Professor of Electrical and Computer Engineering, Dr. Michelle Melantine, and Engineering student Evan Lavin. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Yeah. Well, let's jump right in. So, the Engineers Without Borders USA chapter on CMU's campus is fairly new. And it was fairly serendipitous that its creation happened right before we really needed your expertise on CMU's wastewater testing project. So I was hoping, Dr. Melantine, you can talk to us a little bit about the wastewater project in general. And then, Evan, if you could follow that up with telling us how Engineers Without Borders USA group helped successfully launch the project.
1: Thanks for that. Uh, Yeah, so the civil engineering faculty at CMU have really been the ones who have been um, instrumental in this project. So, Dr. Carrie Schultes and Dr. Kelly Crome Bevel have been working most intensely on the project now. At the time, um, when we were entering the fall semester, or sorry, last spring semester, there was sort of, no, the fall, sorry, (laughs) we were talking about some initial discussions, and um, Dr. Carrie Schultes came to us and she was looking to try to involve student groups in this wastewater project. And so she came to Engineers Without Borders, seeing if we would be interested in helping prototype the wastewater samplers and the Civil Engineering Club to see if they'd be interested in building the housings. So I think it's great that we have such energetic faculty at the campus that we're looking to involve the students in this project.
0: Yeah, and I think too, Evan, before you kind of answer the second question there, it's it's really um, pretty interesting that, you know, this last re- year has been rough on everybody with COVID, but the fact that we've been able to find opportunities and ways to make the best out of the situation and to get our students hands-on, great applicable, you know, research research or hands-on experience. So it's like something great has come out of, you know, something pretty terrible and pretty awful. Definitely.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We were really glad to have, something to work on at that point. We had just attained chapter status over the summer and a club needs to do work or it's not going to be around long. So the wastewater project came along and it turns out that one of the challenges was to uh, devise an apparatus for drawing the actual samples out of uh, the, the sewer system. And it turns out that sewer flows are very shallow. And so we needed something very thin but that was also heavy enough to not float and with just the right you know orifice and all of that to to draw out and we needed to uh I guess uh coordinate that with storage and things like that to make it you know easy and and efficient for uh samplers to come in pull their samples process them and then send them off to be to be tested for COVID.
3: Mm -hmm. Well Caitlin used the word serendipitous to talk about the timing of starting the chapter of Engineers Without Borders but As I was thinking about um, the name of the organization, you know, we live in a world that's really delineated and defined by borders, borders between countries, borders between cities and states, borders between communities, fences between neighbors, et cetera. Um, So the the name seems really significant to me. What is it about engineers without borders um, that makes it different from organizations, makes it a significant um, club to have on campus, and what does it do for students?
1: So I can speak a little bit to this um, with my personal experience. So I was actually a member of an Engineers Without Borders chapter when I was a student. And I think that it's an incredible experience to take a group of students to an entirely different country, to experience a different community, and to grow with that community. And I think when you're 18 years old, 19 years old, 20 years old, you have this thought of like, I'm learning all of these things in the classroom. I don't really understand how I can use this to make the world a better place. And then you go and you do a project and you do something that empowers a community to have a better life. And there's no way that you're able to leave without feeling like you can make the world a better place. And I think that sentiment um, really kind of can drive you to do a lot in your life.
3: So whereas somebody might say, um, hey, you could build a similar project right here in our own community. Your answer to that might be that it's self-enlarging for the students to know that they can make a difference not only in their own community but in in the world. They could have a global impact by by doing something outside themselves. That's sort of uh, the yeah, gist of it.
0: Yeah, that's super fair to say.
1: Exactly.
3: Okay,
0: nice. Well, you are listening to CMU now on KFM Community Affairs, and our first guests today are Assistant Professor of Electrical and Computer Engineering, Dr. Michelle Melantine, and Engineering Student Evan Lavin. Um, so we've been talking a little bit about Engineers Without Borders USA, but I was hoping that maybe you could give us a little background of why you wanted to start this chapter on our campus and what made you kind of move forward with that.
2: Totally. Yeah. I mean, to start with my entire life, I've been interested in giving back and doing some sort of charitable work. I mean, my first work experience was actually as a candy striper in a hospital and in high school, I participated in the Appalachia service project. I spent several years um, teaching adaptive sports with the Telluride Adaptive Sports Program. And then when I came to school, there were, I, I didn't have that outlet. And so one of the things I, I was keeping my eye out for was an opportunity to do that. And then in, let's see, I guess it was fall of 2019, I, f- I met a student named Jordan Cocos. And we worked together through the Society of Women Engineers, um, of which we're both members, actually. Um, and... And we worked together to fabricate a 3D-printed prosthesis, a prosthetic arm for a local boy who was born with a a congenital disability. And so Jordan and I got together and took measurements um, and 3D-printed this arm. It's called the Unlimited Arm with a B. And it's it's designed to be low-cost, very quick to reproduce. It's actually specifically designed for applications in the developing world. And so if you go on their website, there's all this, like, great content about how it's being used to help people you know live their lives and so jordan and i got together and we wound up being the two who kind of really um you know stayed with the project and we we just communicated well we worked well together we both really liked doing things for others and it went off well we wound up delivering the the prosthesis actually on christmas eve of uh 2019 which was also very very nice and um At some point, Jordan made a passing comment about starting a a new chapter of Engineers Without Borders USA, and that had been something that had occurred to me myself. And so it kind of went from there, and then it turned out Dr. Melantine had uh, just come on staff, and she had really good experience, and it just kind of grew.
3: You know what I really like about this is uh, making fun of both of you for a second. You know, there's all the jokes you have about engineers and engineers liking things and not people, but this really shows that just – how important your discipline is for humanity for humanitarian efforts and that there's a lot of the humanities embedded within um in within engineering i think you just alluded to that by with the the prosthetic that you were making but what is the emotional what is the emotional gratification that you get i mean both of you as you work on these projects overseas or domestically and and how does that square with the stereotypes of your discipline i guess
2: uh, for myself I, I i don't really think much about the stereotypes yeah. in my discipline i just kind of do the best work that i can mm-hmm. um as far as as far as my emotional experience i i think i'm just really uh, i'm someone who's very committed to self-improvement and doing what i can to leave my surroundings better than i found them and so that's kind of it, it just kind of plays into that it's well, that's actually part of my draw to engineering and certainly to doing
3: charity work. Leaving the world a better place than where you found it. To the best of yeah. my ability, yes.
1: Definitely. And the only thing I would add to that is really one of the challenges or questions that I often ask my students is, what gets you out of bed in the morning? You know, are you leaving this world, as Evan had said, a better place? And I think it's really the relationships that you form with these communities that, that bring you back. Yes, the projects are interesting and, and sometimes challenging and they have their own unique set of challenges But I think it's really about the community in the end and, you know, making these connections with people and wanting to help them have the best life that they can have. And I think that really drives quite a few people. And I think if they they dig deep and ask themselves, like, what motivates them, I think it's there.
0: I love that. And that's really important for our students to have, I feel like, faculty members that are there and helping to guide you not only as you develop professionally and within your career, but thinking about kind of the whole person and what you want to do and what you want to accomplish with the career path that you've chosen. So I think that's really important. Well, you are listening to CMU Now on KAFM Community Affairs. And our first guest today are Assistant Professor of Electrical and Computer Engineering, Dr. Michelle Melantine, and Engineering student, Evan Lavin. So we talked a little bit about a project that you all, with Engineers Without Borders, and that you helped with on campus. Um, but I know you're also working on um, an international project with the Ecuador Ecuadorian office, And then you also just got, I think, approved funding for another domestic project. So I was hoping we could talk a little bit more about those two projects. And so, Evan, I think I'll turn it over to you first.
2: Sure, yeah. The project that we were just awarded, it's a very first official uh, Engineers Without Borders USA project. It's actually um, what's called a, a CE Corps or Community Engineering Corps project, which can be thought of for intents and purposes as EWB USA's domestic arm. And the the project that we're going to be working on is actually a hydrogeologic analysis of an aquifer in Centennial, Wyoming. Centennial is a small town that is experiencing a lot of uh, a lot of return to the town from people who have who, who have moved away. You know, they're coming back. They're getting a lot more uh, requests for water taps and building, and so they want someone to come in and assess their existing aquifer, determine you know its its capacity and you know how much growth the town can sustain on that aquifer alone. So that's what we'll be working on domestically.
0: Well, congratulations. That's great. That's great news. And I'm sure that's really exciting for you all.
2: It is. Yeah, we're elated.
0: (laughs) Good. And then uh, Dr. Melante, maybe you could talk to us about the international project that I know you all are trying to get, get going.
1: Sure. So we're in the process of kind of, um, you know, we just kind of started the initial conversations um, with EWB USA's office in Ecuador Um, And really what the role country offices play is to identify projects. So UW-USA isn't in the business of going to a community and saying, ah, we can help you by doing X. What they really want is a community to say, we need this bridge so that we can have access to healthcare, education, and markets during the rainy season. And when we don't have this bridge, then we're cut off and isolated. And so they help identify these very specific projects that the communities want and sort of vet them. And so we're in the process of figuring out what is the most appropriate project for our group, but we are um, hoping to have that project identified for the fall semester. And really, I think one of the special things about EWBOSA's model with universities in particular is that they rely heavily on professional engineering mentors to help guide the students. So we've identified some in the in the community. If there are others out there listening and want to get more involved, they can reach out um, to us, and that would be great. But it, I think it's really a great thing to have professional engineers work alongside with with the students and with their their tremendous amount of energy um, to go ahead and and work on these projects together. Great.
3: I guess I have as we sort of wrap up the segment. I have a question for both of you. What's your dream project? If you could take students anywhere in the world and do anything for other people to leave the world a better place, what would it be?
0: Well, that's a big one. I'm,
1: I think <laughs> I'm the most interested as as someone who works in the electrical and computer engineering department program as someone who would really be interested in programs that enable communities to make technology leaps. So, you know, maybe it's a solar powered pump that's driving a water system that you can monitor with an app on your phone. And so I think there's a lot of creative solutions out there that really harness the idea of sort of this blend of low and high tech, you know, with the resources that the communities have to maintain the projects, but also adding a little bit of flair to them um, that kind of gives these, these projects a a modern feel.
2: Yeah. I, I more or less have to agree with uh, Dr. M on that one. Uh, Certainly. And and I think specifically for me, um, energy, you know, the, the benefits of getting even lighting in a house or clean cooking methods in a house uh, in the developing world are unbelievable. I mean, you, you get lighting in a house, all of a sudden all kinds of social positive social markers go up, you know, and, uh, affluence and, and education go up, productivity goes up, other things like sun preference go down. Um, and then there are millions of premature deaths every year uh, in the developed, mostly in the developing world due to dirty cooking methods. So if you can get some sort of clean cooking into the houses, that's, that's very helpful.
0: Yeah. And it's all things that I know for myself and I'm sure other people too, we take for granted being here, living in USA and Grand Junction, Colorado, you know, I don't even think about when I go home and I can just turn on the lights and have water that comes out of my faucet that's hot and I can cook cleanly for myself and my family. You know, those aren't things that I think a lot of us think about very often. So it's amazing to hear as a person that we've got individuals like the two of you out there trying to work on projects like that. It's really heartwarming, to be honest.
3: Yeah.
0: Thanks. Well, great. Well, we're already at the end of our time today. So I just wanted to thank both of you for coming on the show. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank thanks you. Again,
0: thanks for having us. All right. Well, don't go anywhere. We're gonna take a short break and we'll be right back with Montrose Campus lecturer, Dr. John Garner.
2: Things we didn't say that we should have said.
1: Things I
0: can't get out my mind. Things we
1: didn't Goodbye!
0: Hi, this is Serene. Thanks for tuning in to KAFM. We're here for you every day, 24-7, powering you through your day with the largest variety of great music on the dial. Thanks for tuning in to The Voice of Our Community at 88.1 in Grand Junction and 96.9 in Palisade. Support for KAFM comes from Spoken Blossom a lifestyle magazine that promotes Western Colorado as a great place to live, work, and play using thought-provoking content and photography to build community. More information at SpokenBlossom.com or by calling 970-445-0361. Support for
3: KAFM comes from Mesa County Health Department, reminding all that as Mesa County businesses reopen, it is still important to practice social distancing and wear face coverings. Complete information is available at healthy.mesacounty.us. Hey, this is David Starr letting you know that at KAFM, the voice of community radio, your donations and support are greatly appreciated and go a long way to help KAFM continue to bring you commercial-free radio 24-7. Visit KAFMRadio.org to become a monthly Monument member today.
4: Stay safe.
0: Welcome back to CMU Now, a monthly show where we talk about the remarkable work happening at Colorado Macy University and Western Colorado Community College. We'd like to welcome our second guest, Montrose Campus Lecturer, Dr. John Garner. Welcome to the show.
4: Oh, thank you for the warm welcome, and I appreciate you guys inviting me. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, thanks oh, for good. making the drive down from Montrose. Yeah, we're good.
3: Yeah. I've been so excited about this segment just because I've been, I've been reading about your background. It's so a liaison between law enforcement and people with disabilities. I can't wait to talk about that. But before we do, I wanted to talk a little bit about you and I'll describe for our listeners that I'm I'm looking at a piece of body art on your, on your right arm. <laughs> it's, it's intricate and it's amazing and it, but it represents law enforcement. So I, I believe that that must symbolize that law enforcement has played a huge role in your, your development as a, as now a lecturer here and, and got you into what you' what you're, you're doing now with people with disabilities and that liaison role tell us about your background and how you got from here to there before we talk about what you're what you're lecturing about
4: so my uh, my bachelor's degree was in special ed believe it or not and I found that to be uh, a remarkable background for law enforcement and I basically applied for the Illinois State Police on a on a drunken college bet uh, <laughs> really? because somebody told me I couldn't get in. So I was like, I'll show you. And I planned on quitting, uh, honestly. But uh, when I got in the academy, they told me I'd never make it out of there. And I said, I'll show you. And then 27 years later, I retired. Wow. <laughs> so, you, sh- you showed them. I'm yeah, I bet. showed I'm them. I don't even remember who I had to bet with. but uh, so, so that's what happened. Um, that special ed background helped a lot. And there were two shootings of deaf individuals in 1996 in Illinois. And the deaf community, uh, through their, their rumor mill, for lack of a better word, uh, injustifiably so felt that they were being singled out and hunted by the police. And those are their words. So uh, we put together a committee, and the Illinois State Police put me on that because they knew of my background. And since 96 until literally um, last Friday, that's what I've been doing. And it kind of found me. But I do enjoy the work, and I can bridge both communities, because I have a son with Downs that I adopted. And uh, uh, no thanks to my mother, I found out I was dyslexic at the age of 50. (laughs) I grew up the whole time thinking I couldn't spell and I was a lesser person. And then I found out later on that that I had a foot in that disability world that I didn't even know about.
0: Mm -hmm. I know all of that to me is just so interesting, especially this kind of liaison role that you've created I feel like for yourself between the police and different groups with disabilities, especially the deaf community. And when we were talking before the show, you really talked about this as a calling. So you had your background in special education, but then it felt like you were called to do this role that not a lot of people in the country do. So could you just talk to us more about, you know, what really got you into this work and why you stayed in it for, for so long?
4: Well, and this won't be any surprise to your listeners, but you know, law enforcement is a pretty closed society and we're very skeptical of outsiders. And I found out the disability communities, a lot of them, not all of them, but are the same way. And they're very skeptical. And for somebody to have a foot in both camps and trust in both camps, um, there's not many of us. Um, So the fact that that I've developed this uh, relationship and this trust and, and loyalty within both these communities over the years, has put me in a position where it's really difficult to to walk away from it. Mm -hmm. So since the shooting in North Aurora with the little boy that uh, played the violin for the cats, Mm -hmm. uh, I got involved with the Colorado Autism Society, so I'm doing some police reform work with them. And then Governor Polis recently put me on a committee on sign language interpreter reform to get more interpreters into all areas, but especially rural areas like Grand Junction. Mm
3: -hmm. Well, you mentioned earlier that some uh, communities with disabilities are, are closed or skeptical? Or, um, and maybe the answers are obvious, but maybe they're not so obvious. Why? Why are they skeptical and of whom?
4: Well, for example, law enforcement has their own way of dressing. We have our police uniforms. We have our own language, 10 for, you know, our 10 codes. And we have our own stories and our myths. Well, the, the deaf community does too. Uh, they have their own language. Uh, they have their own myths. They have their own grapevine, their own language. So that's what creates that. And interestingly enough, and I know uh, this is of interest to a lot of people when I bring it up, especially my students, because I'm not fluent in ASL. It's become starkly apparent when I walk in with... Uh, what is ASL for the listeners? Oh, sorry. Yeah. American Sign Language, which is, uh, interestingly enough, it, it's not English. It's not Sign English. It's a, it's a unique language. And when I walk in uh, to a room with a group of, of individuals who are deaf, and they're all fluent in ASL and I'm not the only person present with any type of disability in communications is usually me. And it becomes really apparent when that script is flipped 180 degrees, how difficult it can be to work in a hearing society where that's taken for granted, whether it's flying a plane or getting on a bus or attending a class. Mm -hmm.
0: Good, well you are listening to CMU Now on KFM Community Affairs and our second guest today is Montrose Campus Lecturer, Dr. John Garner. So you spoke just a little bit prior about your own disability, dyslexia, and how you didn't even know for years and years and years until you were in your 50s that you had a disability. And I was just curious how that affects how you teach in the classroom because I would assume as a teacher that, you know, you're dealing with all kinds of different students and all different learning styles. So I would just be curious how that's influenced how you teach in the classroom down at the Montrose campus.
4: Well, the one thing that that surprised me and that a lot of people – especially older generation said, is that these these millennials, these Gen Zers, they are thin-skinned, and, and uh, I, I haven't found that. They're, they're re- pretty rugged, but they also like to see somebody up there that has struggled like they have too, and, and I they like the truth. So when I go in on my first day and I do my orientation, especially for my English as a second language students, you know, I, I hold them up on a pedestal because I tell my, my non-bilingual students, hey, these guys are already way ahead of you. They can do something you can't. So the fact they may struggle if they speak in class a little bit, let's not be judgmental. And the same thing with disability. And it's amazing after my first uh, uh, orientation in every class, I always have a few students come up and say, "Oh, thank you." It, it's so great to hear somebody say that. I feel like you know I can trust you and I can talk to you and I can kind of be myself in this class and that that I won't be judged harshly. And I give them tools to do workarounds. And in this day and age uh, just like we saw with your last presenters technology is great and 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 you know applications on the internet um you know save me from sending an email to brian and writing brain and embarrassing myself (laughs) and uh that's that's a good thing
3: Mm -hmm. so caitlin alluded to the fact that you you have dyslexia and you said that you have a son with down syndrome and you work with people in the in the deaf community um and but one and you might people say oh you're so magnanimous but I don't, the, the vibe that you put off to me is that you don't see these things as being disabilities and neither do the people who are in those communities. And how do you, when, when you have people that I, maybe, they, maybe they are patronizing in that way, how do you address that? And how do you correct that thinking to where people can understand that it's just like you said, it's a different language. It's not a disability.
4: Right. I, you know, I think if, if you're living with something like dyslexia or a mobility issue or deafness, here, here's the amazing thing. That, that I found working with the deaf community. And I work with some of the top leaders in the country, you know, the editors at Gallaudet University and the, the movers and shakers and the people that are pushing legislation. And I'll ask them, I said, if I could wave a magic wand and give you your hearing back tomorrow, would you take it? And unanimously, the answer is no. Unanimously. Unanim- and I'm like, what? And I tell my students this and they're like, what? Yeah. And it's like, this is who I am. And if you take this away, you take away my identity You take away my connections. You take away my friendships. You take away what makes me unique in this world. And you take away our culture. And I never thought of it like that. So, you know, I think from the outside when people see me working with individuals with disabilities, they see me as a steamroller because I don't let that get in the way. Mm -hmm. And I work through them and we accept that and we carry that with us as we move forward, but we don't dwell on it. I love that. Good question,
0: Yeah. yeah. Good, and we're already getting to the very end of our time with you today. So I think I just wanted to kind of wrap it up by bringing it back to the Montrose campus. So, you know, you've got this wealth of experience. You lived back in the Midwest. So I'm just curious what brought you to Grand Junction in Montrose, Colorado, and what made you decide to be a teacher at the campus there? Um,
4: You know, I I taught at the academy a lot, and I always knew that when I retired I wanted to teach. I love students. They keep me young. I mean, for a very selfish reason, they keep me young. But this Grand Junction area, I mean, people like the people in this room, the people that are listening to me, um, and the outdoors and the nature. And I'm a skier. I'm a hiker. I'm a whitewater guy. And, uh, you know, it's it for, for being retired, I'm as busy as I could possibly be and trying to squeeze more into my schedule every day. So I just i haven't had a bad day in western Colorado. I really
3: haven't. No. Caitlin, I don't think people realize. Like, the benefit of us getting to do this show is we learn just how many amazing people we have at CMU and at Western Colorado Community College and the Montrose campus and from our faculty standpoint that enrich our community. And so, so glad that you're on with us today. And I, I can't wait to learn more about you.
4: Thank you guys so much for the opportunity. Thank you for your excellent work.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, John. Well, David, before we go today, I just wanted to mention we've got a couple events coming up at Colorado Mesa University, which I think is a good sign of the times. And so I know that this weekend coming up is going to be the last weekend of Cabaret, March 11th through the 13th. Um, if you're interested in attending, you can go to coloradomesa.edu slash cabaret. And then I think we have another music concert coming up. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things that are coming back online. I mean, we have the CMU Civic Forum that's getting did the Social Dilemma event the other day. And so mm-hmm. I think people should be really Really enthused that CMU is, is providing that leadership to getting back to as normal as we possibly can be here in the near term. Yeah.
0: yeah, I love that. All right, well, this segment airs on the second Tuesday of each month on KAFM Community Radio. You can also listen to a podcast of today's show at kafmradio.org. I'm your host, Caitlin Birdsall, along with my co host, David Ludlum, and we'll be back next month for another edition of CMU Now on the Community Affairs Hour.